0: This is the BBC.
1: This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK.
2: This is the BBC.
1: Hello, I'm Helen Mark and thanks for downloading this episode of Radio 4's Open Country podcast, a series that brings you fascinating stories from every corner of the UK countryside. We hope you enjoy it.
2: If you come into Birmingham on a train from the south of the country, before you arrive at the shimmery disks of the Selfridges building and the glitzy shopping of the Bullring, you'll pass through about a mile and a half of neglected, forlorn, forgotten, post-industrial wasteland. It's a pretty unremarkable landscape, but I'm told that within about a decade this landscape will be utterly transformed. And it won't only change Birmingham, it will make a difference to the whole country. Because this is where the terminal to HS2, the high-speed railway linking the city to London within just 49 minutes, will be opened. And Waheed Nazir, you're the man from Birmingham City Council charged with making this vision a reality. Describe to me what this is going to look like. What will we see on this landscape?
3: Well, where it's vacant, we will see a significant structure which will be a new station, which we are working with High Speed too to ensure it's a station of international design standards. How long has it taken these plans to get to this point, and how long will
2: it take to actually realise them?
3: I think the one thing about cities, and particularly dynamic cities, is they have to constantly evolve. So t- today, plans like Curzon are looking at a horizon up to th- twenty thirty eight. Things like the Big City Plan have looked at till twenty thirty five. But actually, as time goes by, we'll have to constantly review those to keep adapting to the changing demands that cities need to fulfil.
2: So we're looking at a vision for maybe twenty years in the future.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the scale of infrastructure when you're changing the landscape of cities like this, you are really always looking at at least a fifteen to twenty year horizon in order to achieve such a significant scale of change.
2: So I've got. Three kids aged between 13 and 2, growing up in Birmingham. Well, from your point of view, this is not just a job, is it? It's a personal mission because you grew up, like me, in Birmingham, in Small Heath, which is not very far from here. It's a big responsibility, though, isn't it? If you get it wrong, your yeah. friends and neighbours will know. Oh, I tell you it my... was you who I... messed
4: it up.
3: I tell you, my <laughs> wife tells me all the time and she doesn't think that, that I've made a decision or recommended a decision that I shouldn't have done. I mean, I think that's part of the beauty of actually living in a city. You actually understand the, the granular nature of the city. You understand how the city breeds. And therefore, it's important that when you do make these decisions, you appreciate that it, you're actually making decisions which affect pe- real people's lives. It's not just landscape, but it's actually how the city you've grown, I've grown up in is actually going to continue to evolve. It's challenging. It does keep me awake at nights sometimes, but actually it's also very rewarding when you get it right. I mean, the station itself physically will be completed by 2022, 23 So we'll start to see that that derelict landscape you referred to, Adrian, actually starting to change over the next few months.
2: So that's the promise then of a transformed landscape here at Curzon Street, the home of HS2. I'm off about seven miles to the east now, out towards Birmingham Airport. That's a pretty run-down and neglected suburb in my experience. But there are a group of volunteers there who want to transform the landscape through trees. I've come now to Glebe Farm Wreck. It's only a couple of miles from Birmingham Airport in East Birmingham. I used to know this place as a kid. I played football here. I've got a horrible feeling... I might want to score a couple of own goals on the playing fields here. The playing fields are gone now, though, and it's a, it's a semi wilderness. It is a vast area, I'd say maybe the size of around 20 football pitches ringed with trees. On the far horizon, there is the, the tree line of the River Cole and some newer trees as well, which have been planted just in front of that by the group Birmingham Trees for Life. I've got Jeff Cole with me, Debbie Needle and Jane Harding, all from Birmingham Trees for Life. So tell me a little bit more about your organisation.
1: We're a local charity, a part of the Birmingham Civic Society, and we work in partnership with the City Council to plant trees right across the city with local school children and local community groups.
5: We're 11 years old as a charity now. We've planted over 70,000 trees, we've raised over three quarters of a million pounds. And by the way, if you think a few people can't do something, then the reality is a few people can do something with a lot of goodwill. Uh, and a lot of help and we've had that and part of our bigger vision now is that we've all realized that trees here in cities are under a huge threat we've got this terrible disease called ash dieback. there's some kind of um, fungus affecting some of our horse chestnut trees and the difference between a tree and like lots of other things is that you plant it now and it's there for the next 100 years and really it doesn't Try to make an impact of any description until it's 20 25 years old. So we've got to think what kind of a city we want for our children and our grandchildren, all the people who are going to live in Birmingham, and what we've decided we'd like to do is to kind of make a Birmingham forest. If you fly over the city, you're surprised how many trees there already are, but there are still vast areas of green space like this old football picture. In fact, they're okay, but If it was planted up as a woodland with little bits of green space in it, it would be so much more interesting. So that's part of our big vision, is to kind of get everybody signed up to creating the Birmingham Forest, which should be at the end of your street and should be in every single neighbourhood where somebody can have a piece of ownership and say, well, actually, I helped to create that. I remember back in, you know, the the early 21st century when we all had a go at building this forest, and and that kind of dream is what we want to take forward. So we're on the verge of
2: planting season now what's going to happen next here on this space
1: we know what we're going to plant we know how many trees we're going to plant two and a half thousand young sapling trees native trees Um, our schools liaison officer will talk to schools in the area and talk to the local community to get them out to help us We tell the children what they're going to do, and the adults as well, because a lot of adults that come out to us have never planted a tree before. So it isn't just the children, it's the adults as well. And we spend a wonderful morning. We call it notch planting. So we make a notch in the ground, we use our spade, cut a slit in the ground, put the tree in, make sure it's in nice and safe. We work our way through the trees until the last one is planted.
2: What I love about that, though, is the fact that you're working with other voluntary sector groups working with the city council as well people at a time of austerity coming together collectively accepting responsibility this is our landscape this is our city okay the money might not be there for the council to do it themselves all right we'll chip in we'll help them we'll make something happen here we live in a society though don't we where we expect instant results we want a quick fix if people come and help you in a part of planting two and a half thousand trees, they're not going to see a bit of woodland or forest immediately, are they?
1: They're two foot, yes. two yeah. foot tall, yeah. the trees that we plant, the woodland trees, the whips that we plant. And it is a very difficult job not giving somebody something immediately, but relatively quickly, because, you know, we, it's amazing how time passes for yeah. us sometimes, that you come back to a site and, like you say, almost by magic... A woodland has, has appeared there.
2: When you're not looking, you is see is is a little cluster of yes, shortish yeah. trees there, is is—is that your work? Yeah, yeah, all, the, all the way across the there, smaller, right as far as you can see,
5: all those willows.
2: Yeah, the yeah,
1: smaller yes. ones yeah. are the slower growing species like oak trees, the larger ones so that are, are more bushy that you can see are the faster growing species like willow that have established more quickly and got their toes into the damp ground. I, lo- and, and I, love, the,
5: I love the Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago <laughs> and the next best time is now. <laughs> Now, I'll tell you what, you
2: as tree lovers might be aghast at this, but I've seen some, even though it's a a chilly autumn morning now, some very positive signs that at least some of the local youngsters have engaged very positively (laughs) with this site. We've we've got the swing rope, the traditional swing rope that's been uh, hanging high there from one of the the high branches of the tree coming down, uh, a blue rope. Uh, and then a, a, a fairly tough branch, uh, which it's wrapped around, so that the youngsters would be swinging across the river uh, during the summer and months. If you... you don't mind a bit of the old yeah. tree swinging, no, do you? Never to swing, no. that's good because I'm just going to have a go. <gasps> <laughs> the, the green gin. I'll end up. I'll end up. Uh, no, no, I'll end up in the water if I try. Having a go. <laughs> I'm chickening out, yeah. Jeff. You, Jeff, you have a go. Oh. <laughs> Now, we're talking about visions of the future in Birmingham and it might seem odd to come here to where I'm standing now in Heath, in inner-city Birmingham. It's a very diverse area and the housing, as you might expect, is traditional terraces. But one Times critic came here a few years ago And he said, I have seen a vision of the future and the future is here in Birmingham. And I can see exactly what he means because amongst this row of red brick houses, there is one house that really stands out. The people who live here are John Christopher's and Joe Hindley. Hello, Hello. Joe. Hi. I'm Adrian. Nice to meet you. Very
0: nice to meet you. How are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. You're You're very welcome. Thank
2: you very much indeed. Wow. I'm looking up and as we're standing in the lobby here, this looks so different already. Hello, you must Hello. be John I'm yes. Adrian How yes. are you
6: very well, thank you uh, So this is an eco house this is this is a, a zero carbon house and it's the world's first ever retrofit um, house. so just behind you that brick wall is one hundred and seventy years old. We're in the new bit of the house here but both the new bit and the old bit are zero-carbon standard.
2: So the key point, though, is the retrofitting. You haven't just built from new. Here in this gritty inner-city landscape, you've taken a traditional 19th-century terraced house and made it into a modern, a futuristic,
6: dare I say, (laughs) eco-house. Well, absolutely. And, we, you know, our vision is that why don't we do this with all our houses, not just this as as a one-off house, but... You know, all over Birmingham, there are lots of Victorian houses. People love living in them. They're very practical. But they're like leaky sieves when it comes to trying to heat the darn things. What we've done is, is we've doubled this in size, because it's a tiny little two-up, two-down terraced house originally. We've We've doubled it in size, so this part here, which goes out on the side, more or less doubles the footprint. But amazingly, we're only using 3% of the energy for this big house, twice the size, that they were, for the old house, half the size.
2: Incredible as well. And I'm just drawing attention to these design features. As we step inside the hall here, we've got this honeycomb glass. Or is it hard stuff and plastic, called is it?
0: It's It's really special stuff. It's from the aircraft industry, actually. Oh. It's got some little aluminium honeycombs that have pockets of air. And, um, and it's very can... strong, very insulating and allows the light through
2: you know i've known borsal heath pretty much all my adult life there's a, a pub down the road that i yes. still occasionally drink him or on the edge of the balty belt here even within birmingham i'd say borsal heath has an image of being slightly run down quite colorful quite characterful but slightly run down yet here we are this is this is possibly the most modern house in birmingham and and yet it's an old house at the same time yes
6: yes well we love Balsall Heath you know it's a vibrant area I've lived here we've both lived here for getting on for 30 years and I feel you know taking your point about it being a gritty inner city area if we were looking at a sort of dream eco house people think oh how you know their dream would be to do it in rural Cornwall off the edge of a cliff or something (laughs) but I feel that's that's not nearly as real as, as doing it here in the city because, you know, we've got schools, shops, everything all around. The carbon footprint of our lifestyle is tiny in the city compared to some of the far-flung places where, you know, you need um, to, to um, use a lot of energy to get food and everything there. Come and show me something
2: else yeah, in the house. I yeah. should point yeah. out that you are an architect. Have you got an unfair advantage? <laughs> most, most
6: people couldn't do this to their house. Well, I'm very lucky that I've had the opportunity. You know, although I've done green buildings through all my architectural career, as an architect, you can only go as far as your client wants to go. And in this case, we were our own clients, so we've (laughs) been able to go quite a lot further. And we've done some quite radical things, like, for instance, all the floors you're walking on are compacted Birmingham earth, would you believe? (laughs) This is just good Birmingham red clay dug up from the garden when we were digging the foundations of the new house.
2: Uh, so it looks to me, on the face of it, just like a traditional stone floor, but you've made this then. It's, we have. If
0: you touch it, it's actually, it's it's not as cold as stone. Mm.
2: Mm. It's
0: got a warmth to it. Because mm. of the sun, it's shining in here, it warms up this floor, yes. and the floor becomes like a slowly radiating radiator then, giving it's keeping the heat. Shall yeah. we look
7: at
6: the back? Yeah. Let, we'll go out the back door and I can show you. This is amazing.
2: You wouldn't think a place like this would be in Heath, would you? Because it's... It, I mean, it's just so radically different. Terraced houses, red brick. And I mentioned outside that a Times critic had said that he had seen the future... And this was the future, this vision in Birmingham. And it, does, it looks remarkably different, doesn't it? With lots of windows. So you've got orange and yellows and reds and blues as well on the paint, decorating it outside. It does look like something alien, but in a good way, has been landed on Borsal Heath. And, it, and it's, it's striking in its own right. This would be striking anywhere.
6: Well, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, on the front, we've been quite respectful. We wanted to keep the pattern of the street and the old brickwork and the old windows and the old roof. We haven't touched a thing there. But outside here, we've pulled the stops out and we've used some brighter colours. One of my mates wrote a song and the chorus goes, the reds and greens and yellows are the colours of the new Albion. He was living on a, uh, a canal boat at the time, so that's what he was thinking of. But what I'm thinking of is the new Albion, the new England, should be full of zero-carbon houses. So across the first floor there, we've got red and green and yellow. We hope that these colours can be part of the new Albion.
2: Well, it, it is a fantastic house. Uh, I, I like the house where I live, but I must say, if this came onto the market, <laughs> I'd be very tempted to buy it. But, again, you don't want this to be the only house, no. and it would be amazing no. for Birmingham, wouldn't it? If Birmingham could say... This is a model. Not every house is going to be the same. Not everybody will have the same wishes and desires as you. But what you've done here, wouldn't it be amazing if Birmingham said we've got something original, something inspirational in our midst. If it can be done in Mm. Heath, we can do
6: it anywhere. We need to go round all our old housing stock, insulate it to a very, very good standard, put solar panels on the roofs where they're facing the right way, reduce the running cost of these houses dramatically, give skills, give jobs to people in these difficult times, and I think it could make a fantastic vision of of a green city. I
2: didn't have a swing on the river Cole this morning, but there is a beautiful tyre swing in the back garden on this ashtray, so... It would be remiss of me not to have a go, wouldn't it? Whoa, here we go! Oh, I'm having a nice swing on the on tyre the on the tree. Whoa! Thank you! Oh, that's great. My kids would love this. Whoa. Morning. Sorry to interrupt, sir. can I just hold you for a second? Yeah. Uh, I'm Adrian, what's your name? Mike. Mike? Yeah. Hello Mike, what are you doing then? Clearing, really, to
0: give some space for the oaks to grow, for the hardwood trees to grow. It's surrounded and in the past by holly and, uh, and now by silver birch. You can see the light, you know, if you can
2: open it up a bit to give this little one a chance to grow. This is Sutton Park now. When I was a kid growing up in Northfield, in the southwest of Birmingham, this felt like the far side of the moon. We didn't have a car. In fact, when I was a kid, Sutton wasn't even in Birmingham. It only got adopted as part of the city in 1974. So you've got your saw there, so you're, you're hacking away now at the silver birch, which has come down, yeah. taking down the silver birch, so you're just chopping it up into smaller right. pieces. Yeah? Make it neat to clear the space, put it into piles, Good for animals and insects. And you're doing this just for the for the love of it? I
0: oh, we get paid well. Do you? Nothing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that much? <laughs> yes, you know, for about six years now every Thursday. And uh, I'm retired. And it's part of things I like to do. I've been living locally no to this park all my life. Cycling it, walking in it, walking in it. It's so important to the people of
2: Birmingham. And, it's and how, how, does it, how does it feel to you to feel that in your own way you're actually helping to shape that landscape
0: in in a little way it's important and also to keep up to date with what the long term plans are what they're trying to do it's interesting and it's good and to have a little effect on it and now and then when I'm walking around with family and friends grandad's done that all on your own Granddad. oh yes
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sutton Park is about 2,000 acres of Nature Reserve, two miles wide, two miles long. It's home to grazing cattle, it's home to wild ponies and I'm standing now in a, a beautiful woodland clearing oak trees. There are the remnants of some trees that have fallen down and that have been cut back on the, the floor beneath me but the sun coming through the canopy of leaves at the top and you can see buzzards, you can hear birdsong It's a gorgeous place. Danny Squire is here with me, and Matthew Barker, who were both rangers in the park, and the park manager, John
4: Porter. We've, in essence, got a medieval landscape which has been preserved in time. So, going back to the 12th century, the land was given over to the Earls of Warwick, and they used it, in essence, as a status symbol, as a place to come and hunt deer and to show off how fantastic they were. And in return, a lot of the local landowners showed how they how fantastic they were and how brilliant their real forest was. But what you ended up with is a, is a deer park with woodland on one side of the park and open grazing land on the other. And in 1528, after it had been in royal hands for a few years, Henry VIII granted a royal charter and that allowed the park then to become part of the royal town of Sutton Coalfield. And in essence, where we're stood now in Hollyhurst is a very similar feel to how it would have been in 1528 when that land got transferred.
2: As we stand here in this little walkway between two sides of this woodland, the way to the right here, it's, it's all cut back. You can see the sun really powerfully coming through the tops of the trees. You can hear the birds wittering away in the background. Away to my left, though, is really dense woodland, What's the difference between that side and this side? The side that we're looking out on, with the sun and and, and the plants and the growth and the birds, is in, is the area that we worked. To this side, uh, the dense holly hasn't really been worked since 1810. 200 years of unmanaged growth.
4: What did that lead to in this area? A decline in the woodland. What you what you end up with is the inability for the for the woodland to regrow and to Re- rebirth itself so the seed bank that's there is, lays dormant because the light can't get to the woodland floor so the dominance of one species in, in holly means that it's slowly but surely killing the woodland and you'll only end up with holly in here so without any intervention at all we were, we were looking over the, the death of our woodland here
7: They used holly we think for animal fodder over winter and you could make an arrangement with the park manager in the 11th century to go and gather holly and, and we'd agree a peppercorn rent to come and gather sticks or holly. And if you know the old English phrase, by hook and, or by crook, well, that was about coming into a place like this to, to gather things and you'd use your bill hook or your shepherd's crook. People used to come in every day and gather their firewood and their sticks. But now we've got this, uh, if you live in a flat, then you have to use the central heating. Uh, we've, we've disconnected people in a way from, from uh, using the land.
2: The area away to my right, which has been coppiced, I have to say, though, doesn't look beautiful at the moment because you have got the, the branches kind of strewn on the floor. I imagine, knowing the people of Sutton Coalfield as well, who are very proud of this park and where they live, when you said we're going to be cutting back lots of the holly, we're going to be leaving branches strewn all over the floor, they can't have been delighted with that. That mesh of branches across the woodland floor actually helps protect the soil within the park. We have very thin soils here. So that layer of sticks and debris across the woodland just prevents the wind whipping across the top or prevents rivers and rivulets from forming as as, as it rains across the park. So in in terms of protecting the soil, very important. But also what it does is it, it reduces the amount of people wanting to walk out across the woodland floor. And if you're trying to get regrowth, especially from a seed bank or any kind
4: of plant growth in the woodland, you don't want people trampling across it as it's coming up, as it's fresh. We've put additional bird boxes and things up because we have been expecting things like flycatchers to come back into the onto the site. But also things like opening up the airways is good for birds, but also for things like bats. So bats' population on site now will have has the opportunity to increase because they have free flight paths to get to the trees to roost during the summer.
7: Uh, if you go into a holly area, it's a very dense, gloomy, and sterile place with very little birdsong. Once you You clear an area of that holly and get back to these majestic oaks. You suddenly get a sort of uh, a choir of birdsong in the spring. You get a lot of life and vitality.
2: I'm going to do my bit for the future of Birmingham now. I'm going to cut down one of these trees in the woodland and allow Sutton Park to flourish.
1: Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more open countries, there are programmes going back to 2009 available on the BBC Radio 4 Open Country website.